sometimes I hear people tell about how they were always the last to be chosen. You know, like uh, for playground games at, at recess or, or after school. Two captains are picked, you know, to, to choose teams. And as the, the, the picking process progresses, a dread begins to creep on the unpicked, especially as um, you know, the pool of possible teammates dwindles. So once you've been picked, you move to the other side, behind the two captains who are picking, and you join this newly formed group that you belong to. But if you're the last to be chosen, you're standing all alone, like facing everybody while the captains decide what to do with you. We know what it's like to, to be cut. Like, I wasn't chosen for the basketball team, or I wasn't chosen for the cheerleading squad, or I wasn't chosen for a role in the high school musical. And we can walk away from experiences like that with, with feelings like, I'm not good enough, or worse, I'm not wanted. Nobody wants me. Our story from the Bible today is sometimes called the visitation. Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. Both of them are pregnant, and they shouldn't be. And both of them know what it's like to be on the outside looking in. Luke introduces us to Elizabeth in his gospel. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Elizabeth had no children, and that was a big deal. Like in their world, um, children was um, a reward from God for being faithful. And you know for Elizabeth, like that would have been how she would have found most value in, in the eyes of the other people around her. Uh, like barrenness was uh, directly connected or associated with um, God's disapproval and it would have been considered Mary's fault. Luke tells us that she was getting on in years, that she wasn't able to have children. Like you think about it, like that's a, that's a, a dark, depressing, lonely place to be. But then the angel Gabriel shows up, not to Elizabeth, but to her husband Zechariah. Now Zechariah was a priest and his division of priests was on duty in the temple, and he was chosen by Lot um, to burn the incense that day. And so here is Zechariah in the holiest place um, at, at the, the altar of incense, and he's burning the incense in the sanctuary of the Lord, and Gabriel appears. And Gabriel tells Zechariah, Elizabeth will have a baby, and you'll name him John. John will bring joy and gladness. And he will be a Nazarite. He will minister in the spirit of Elijah. 
and he will help the people of Israel prepare for the end times. Some scribes taught that it would, was Elijah who would come back um, to, to prepare the way for the Messiah. For Mary, the scandal of her pregnancy, like, it not only put her life in danger, it also would have pushed her uh, to the edge of the community, to the margins. So she too was in a lonely, even scary place. I'm fascinated with the way God chooses to do things. Advent is the beginning of God's incarnational journey, and God begins with the likes of Elizabeth and Mary. It shouldn't surprise us, though. God's preferred starting place is often with the disenfranchised or the socially vulnerable or uh, undervalued people in places like Nazareth where people are really poor or live in a cave. Uh, you remember when Philip met Jesus and then he goes to tell his friend Nathaniel, hey, we've met the one, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response was, can anything good come from Nazareth? In Mary's story from two weeks ago, it, it, it seems that Mary is also fascinated by God's choice. Um, and it seems like she begins to you know, question her own abilities or, or even her own self-worth. The angel Gabriel uh, greets her and says, You are the favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary's confused by that. It's, it's interesting to me that she doesn't seem freaked out by the presence of the angel like, like most people are. She's perplexed at his words. And so, um, you know, it's like, how can this be? Like, who am I that, that God would do this? And, and Gabriel says, don't be afraid. But not like, don't be afraid because I'm this freaky thing. It's really like, don't be afraid at these words I'm speaking to you. He says again, you are favored by God. Now, this Greek word favor, um, charis, uh, it, it also means grace or gratitude. So it's like God saying, I'm grateful for you. So these two women on the margins have been chosen by God for amazing things. And the visitation happens. Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. John the Baptist leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb, who says, you know, how can it be that the mother of my Lord has come to me? Herself seeming to, to question, how did I warrant such a thing? that I could get to be a part of such a thing. And then Mary sings her famous song where she, in response to Elizabeth's joy and, and praise, she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked with favor on the lowliness of His servant. The crazy thing is, in the midst of their fear, um, their confusion, their aloneness, like there's, there's joy. Of course there's, there's joy in, in being together, 
but there's also this joy in being chosen. My preaching professor in seminary was Dr. Fred Craddock um, at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. And he tells this great story about a time that he and his wife were, were traveling uh, and they, they stopped in Cosby, Tennessee and were having breakfast at the, at the Black Bear Cafe. And so they had, they had ordered their food and um, they noticed this older white-haired gentleman kind of walking through the cafe and visiting every table and stopping and having conversations with all the people. And so Fred Craddock noticed that and he just kind of, you know, not wanting to really be engaged with people and have conversations, he just leaned over to his wife and said, I sure hope that guy doesn't, you know, come over here to us. But sure enough, uh, here he comes over to the table and, and this stranger greets them and, and says, well, hello, uh, where are you folks from? And they said, well, we're from Atlanta, Georgia. It's like, oh, well, welcome to Tennessee. It's really nice to have you here. And says, so what do you do for a living? And Fred Craddock says, well, um, I teach at a seminary. And this stranger says, oh, you teach preachers how to preach, do you? As he helped himself to a seat, he says, I've got a great story to tell you. And Craddock's just like groaning silently to himself saying, great, another preacher story. And this old guy points out the window and he says, you see that mountain over there? He says, at the base of that mountain, a long time ago, this unwed mother gave birth to a son. And at about six years old, when this, this boy was six years old, times were really tough. The, the mom couldn't uh, really handle it anymore. And so uh, she sent the boy to an orphanage. And life was really hard for this boy. Because, you know, everywhere he went, there was this question, this curiosity. Well, boy, who is your daddy? And, of course, it was painful and it was embarrassing. Like, he would get the question at school. And, of course, at school you get a lot of taunting and mocking. So he would, um, you know, hide from uh, the others at, at recess and on the playground. Um, most often he would eat lunch alone. Um, you know, this uh, question was so painful that he avoided going into local shops. He would uh, avoid being in public. Um, he regularly attended church, but he would arrive to church late and he would always step out early. Well, when he was 12 years old, the new preacher at the church preached the sermon. And the benediction happened so fast that he wasn't able to get out. He was caught in the aisle with the crowd. At the door, uh, exiting the church, uh, the preacher noticed this young man and was curious about him. And not knowing anything about the boy, he says, well, son, who is your father? Well, the other congregation members who were within earshot, all of a sudden just grew deathly quiet. And, and the new minister noticed that, that something was wrong, that, that they were quiet. They knew that this boy was embarrassed. Well, he recognized his mistake and he quickly recovered. And he's like, oh, I see it. I see the family resemblance. 
you are a child of God. And he immediately said to this young man, son, you have a great inheritance. Go and claim it. And the stranger told Dr. Craddock and his wife, like, this boy was never the same. Anytime anybody would ask him about his daddy, he would emphatically respond, I am a child of God. And as this white-haired gentleman uh, walked away from their table, he just said, if that min new minister hadn't have uh, said to me that I was a beloved child of God, I probably would have never amounted to anything. Well, Dr. Craddock was deeply moved by this story. And so he summoned the waitress over and says, do you know who that man is? The waitress just smiled and said, of course. Like everybody around here knows who he is. Uh, that's Ben Hooper, the former governor of Tennessee. You know, when we walk away with feelings like, I'm not good enough, or I'm not wanted, we need to remember how God chooses to do things. That God's preferred starting place could be me, even me. I am a child of God. I am chosen to belong. I am chosen for great things. Thanks be to God.